want you to come to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6. Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6. Let you find that. And we'll read just a few verses together, uh, reading from verse 25. Title of the message this morning is, Are You a Worry Wart? Are You a Worry Wart? You know what that means? Verse 25, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cupid to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." Amen. There is the propensity in all of our hearts to worry, to be anxious, to be afraid, to be overburdened, to be stressed. Sickness strikes. Jobs get lost. Relationships get strained. Finances get squeezed. Parents Worry about their children growing up. Will they make it in life? Will they have good success? Will they have love and happiness? Will they be a well-rounded individual? Am I doing my best for them? Children growing up come to a certain age where they start to worry too. Funnily enough, about the same things. Will I pass my exams? Will I get a good career? Will I get a decent job? Will I find love? Will I be successful? All of those things. Then there's a pressure, I suppose, of being bullied or rejected. The peer pressure of wanting to blend in, to fit in with the crowd, to copy, to imitate. All these are stresses and worries and strains. And then, of course, the elderly have their own set of worries, if we could put it that way. There are declining years and declining health, meager finances, perhaps a concern about going into residential care and maybe having to give up their home they've lived in for 50 years. And then when you look at the state of things around us, in a general sense, diseases are rampant. There's wars, threats of terrorism, Spiraling inflation, economies going bust. And so, whenever you look at all of those things, 
you might say to yourself, well, I have every right to worry. Why shouldn't I worry? Of course I worry. Who doesn't worry? I mean, you live in the real world. You've got to worry, haven't you? Well, actually, no. Actually, as believers, we do not have the right to worry or be fearful or to be overburdened or to be full of anxiety and care. God doesn't let us off the hook. I wish He did, but He doesn't. He thinks too much of us to let us off the hook. God doesn't say, well, it's okay then. You're a special case. Go ahead. You get my full permission to be full of anxiety and worry and care. Just go ahead. Take your fill of it. It's okay by me. And guess what God says? In fact, He says precisely the opposite. In the portion of Scripture we read in this wonderful message of Christ, three times He says, do not worry. Do not worry. Do not worry. And then if we didn't get the message in verse 28, He adds to that and says, why do you worry? (laughs) So I don't think He wants us to be let off the hook. Sure He doesn't. You know why? Because he knows how destructive worry is and anxiety and fear and stress. He knows what it does to us physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally, all of these things. And so over and over and over again, he says, do not worry. In the authorized version where it says, where it says in the New King James, do not worry about tomorrow. And the authorized version says, take no thought about tomorrow. Now, when it says, take no thought about tomorrow, that does not mean not to make provision for tomorrow or not to plan for tomorrow. Because some people, when they read that, they think, well, there you are. I don't even have to think about tomorrow. I make no plans, no provision. In fact, some people go as far and say, forget about house assurance or forget about life assurance. Years and years and years and years ago, for a while, I used to sell life assurance. And I was amazed when I went into that for a while how few people actually had their life assurance. And, and one of the ways you persuade it, especially men, especially men, you'd go into somebody's home and you would, obviously you're trying to sell life assurance to the person and particularly to the male of the home and you would find that, do you have any life insurance? No, I don't have any of that. I mean, I, I'm healthy and got a good job and everything's going well. Maybe they're only in their 20s and maybe they're not long married. And, and then to try to persuade them, you'd say something like this. You'd say, well... I can see that you love your wife and your family. I can see that you work hard and you're providing for them today and you've got a beautiful home and you've got a nice car and your kids are well-dressed and they're well-fed. I can see that you really care about them today. But what about tomorrow? What if you're to die in your bed tonight? Who's going to take care of your wonderful wife and your beautiful children tomorrow? Who's going to look after them tomorrow? And then it began to dawn on them. Well, I never thought about that. Is your parents going to look after them? Is her parents going to look after them? Or would you not like to look after them if that hadn't happened to you? 
And so then when they saw that they could make some provision for tomorrow, nine times out of ten, they were happy to do that. They just didn't think it through. So there's nothing wrong with making provision for tomorrow. Do not worry about tomorrow means doesn't mean don't make any plans about tomorrow. In fact, the Apostle Paul bears this out in 2 Corinthians 12, 14. Let me just read this to you. Paul's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, Now for the third time I am ready to come to you, and I will not be burdensome to you. I do not seek yours but you. For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now the context, of course, was he's coming to this church, church that he loved dearly. He was having trouble with it. In fact, they were wanting him to to get recommendation if he was coming to him. This was the church that he raised up and they're saying, now listen, we want to see your papers and your recommendation to come to us, back to visit us again, which is ridiculous. And he says, look, I'm coming to you. I'm not going to be burdensome to you. In fact, Paul many times made tents. He worked with his own hands rather than be burdensome. He said, I'm not going to be burdensome to you. Although he could have been if he really wanted it. But he says, I'm not going to be. And then he says, for the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Now, that's forward planning, isn't it? The parents for the children. How many, I'm not asking you to put your hand, but how many parents in here, I'm sure, at some point when your children was growing up, you took a little policy out, you put something away for them, so when they get to 18 or 21 or when they get married, you'd have something to give to them that would be theirs to give them a start in life. That's, that's thinking about tomorrow. That's fine. That's good. So it doesn't mean that, but what it does mean, not to worry about tomorrow. And take no anxious thought about tomorrow. Plan, yes. Provide, yes. But not being worried and sick with worry and anxiety about tomorrow. Jesus said, do not do that. Do not worry like that. So it's not a lack of faith to plan about tomorrow. It's a lack of faith to worry about tomorrow. And that's what Jesus is saying. Worry robs you of your joy. And it steals your hope of tomorrow. Worry is a thief. And we've all been robbed by that thief, haven't we? See, Spurgeon said, we crucify ourselves between two thieves, our regrets about yesterday and our worries about tomorrow. Someone wrote this. If Jesus is who he says he is, if Jesus can do all he says he can do, if Jesus can be all he has promised to be, if Jesus will come like he said he will come, if Jesus loves you like he says he loves you, you have no reason to worry or fear and every reason to be at rest. Amen? Now carefully note here, Matthew 6, what Jesus is saying for us not to worry about. First of all, what's on your back and what's in your belly? if I could put it crudely like that, what you eat and drink and what you're clothed with. That's pretty basic stuff, isn't it? I mean, you couldn't get anything more basic like that. What goes in your belly and what goes on your back? And he says to the people, don't worry about that. Your father knows that you need these things. They're necessary. But do not worry about it. So that's her physical our material needs, and all that that entails to put food in our stomach and clothes on our back. That means our jobs. That means our income, doesn't it? Because you don't get it free, sure you don't. Well, 
Most of us doesn't anyway. You've got to work for it, haven't you? And so he says, do not worry about those things. Isn't it interesting that the very first miracle that Jesus ever performed to show forth his glory was the meeting of an ordinary need to an ordinary couple of newlyweds where he turned the water into wine. You couldn't get any more basic than that. The young man was going to be embarrassed. He was starting out a new married life and it looked as if he had failed to provide for the, for, the, for the wedding. And Jesus stepped in there and met that material need. Just at a moment whenever he needed to look good in front of his wife, to be able to provide for her and to make his fresh start and begin the new life together. And Jesus stepped in and he met that need. That was the very first miracle that he ever performed. So when Jesus says, do not worry, don't be afraid, and he says things like, let not your heart be troubled, fear not, only believe. Now listen, when he says all of those things and more, either he means it, or he's just teasing us. Either that is possible, or he's just playing mind games. And we don't think he's playing games, sure we don't. He actually means it. Now, if this isn't possible, then he's asking us to do something that's just ridiculously impossible. But he must believe that it is possible. Now, he doesn't want to do this in our own strength. It's not just sheer willpower. But we can do it in his strength, in his grace, by his help. Jesus was very aware of our needs and our difficulties and the human problems of life. I mean, he, he came to this earth. He, he lived here for 33 years. He, he walked in your sandals. He lived and he died on this earth. So he knows the pressures and the stresses and the strains of life. He saw it every single day of his life. So he's not speaking in a vacuum here. He's not just saying something that he doesn't understand. In fact, another scripture in Hebrews says he's touched with the feelings of our weaknesses, our infirmities. He's touched with the feelings. He knows how we feel. Here's what he said in John 16, 33. In the world you shall have tribulation. He knows what we go through. But, he said, be of good cheer. For I have overcome the world. Now, do you think he just said that for him? For his sake? I don't think so. I think he said it for our sake. Because everything he did in this earth was not for him. It was for us. He overcame the world for us. He came to live in this life and be successful and victorious for us. Not for him. He didn't have to come here other than to save us and rescue us. And that's what he did. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be with you, even unto the end. Behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall by any means hurt you. John says, if we receive the witness of man, the witness of God is greater. Whose witness 
do we receive? The witness of men or the witness of God? Because sometimes it's just going to come right down to it, isn't it? It's going to come down to what they say or what God says. What the circumstances are saying or what God's Word is saying. That's what it comes down to. And that's where our choice to believe comes in. And God can't make us believe that. We've got to believe that for ourselves. But if we believe that, that's where faith comes in, then He helps us. And you say, David, but it's hard. It's very difficult. Tell me about it. I live in the same world as you do. Same thoughts goes through my brain, it goes through your brain. Your flesh and your feelings will fight you every single inch of the way. That's why Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. So this is not automatic. This is a choice we make. Let not your heart. Do not worry. So hear what he's saying here, that that we're always going to have the opportunity to worry and fret and be fearful and afraid. We're, that's always going to be there. This is what this life is going to be like. It's always going to happen. It's going to happen to every single one of us. But when it happens, we've got a choice. Now, it's not something, this is, this is not something we do naturally. We worry naturally, but it's not something we do. It doesn't come naturally to us to handle this. There's a spiritual discipline in this. There's a dimension of it that we have to make a choice and a decision. And it may not be the very first thing you think about. Now, I don't know about you, but when you get that telephone call at 3 a.m. in the morning, you don't jump out of bed thinking, wonderful, somebody's going to ring me up. They're ringing me up to tell me how much they love me and appreciate me. That's not the first thought that comes into your mind, is it? 100 times out of 100 times, you are going to think, this is bad news. Why in the world would anybody want to ring me up at this time? And you race up the hall and you lift the phone and it's some drunk somewhere who's lifted the wrong number. I got a call one Saturday morning, well, earlier it was a Sunday morning, and I, and I rushed up the hall and lifted it up and it was some guy came out of the boozer across the street and saw my number up on the board and rang me up says, could you take me home? I says, nope. Thank you very much. Got a taxi? <laughs> but you know what it feels like when you get those calls. What is your first reaction? Almost always negative, isn't it? Because that's our propensity to think that way. So it's a war against the mind and our imagination, isn't it? In Philippians chapter 4, this is why Paul says in verse 6, Be anxious for nothing. You say, Paul's very hard on us. Well, he's no harder than Jesus was. Jesus says, do not worry. Paul puts it another way. He says, don't be anxious. But in everything, by prayer, and supplication with thanksgiving. Never forget that part. With thanksgiving. Being grateful for what we do have. Thanking God for what we have already got. Thanking God for the measure of health that we do have. 
thanking God for the measure of provision that we presently have. That's what thanksgiving is. And that helps us not to be anxious whenever we begin to thank God for what He's already given to us. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. See, the problem is, the battle's in the mind. But if we don't win that battle, guess what? It's a very short distance between the head and the heart, isn't it? And before you know, what was in your head gets into your heart. And then it becomes a real job, isn't it? We really start to believe it. And we start to accept it. But Paul says no. And he says the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Jesus says, peace I give to you. Not as the word gives, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Richard Sibbs said, measure not God's love and favor by our own feelings. The sun shines as clearly in the darkest day as it does in the brightest. The difference is not in the sun, but in the clouds which hinder the manifestation of its light. Isn't that the truth? You know, up above our heads this past few nights was the wonderful northern lights. The aurora borealis. And not one of us seen it. Because the clouds covered the whole lot. A great dazzling display that God puts on once in a while for our enjoyment. Anybody ever seen the Northern Lights? Just a few of you. It's beautiful. Even me who struggles with colors can see some of them. <laughs> Dancing curtains of light. And there they were and all our amateur astronomers were pulling their hair out. Couldn't see it. <laughs> but it was happening nonetheless. In Northern Ireland, we don't get to see the sun too often. But it's the same sun you get in Tenerife as what you get here. The difference is they don't have the clouds in Tenerife that we get here, generally speaking. <laughs> and whenever you don't feel God's in control, and you don't feel He understands, you don't feel things is going to work, and you don't feel you're going to get the answer, that's because of the clouds of doubt and fear has come between us and the sun. So how then do we resist the tendency to worry and fret? How do we resist that? Well, I'm not a very keen gardener, as most of you know. But pulling out weeds in the garden is an endless task. It seems like no sooner have you pulled those things out than those rascals have sprouted again. However, when you pull the weeds up, you plant flowers in their place, or shrubs, or vegetables, or anything, then the tendency is that it chokes out the weeds. Still got to keep on top of it, because those rascals will still try to come up through 
given any space at all. But the best way is to plant something in their place. Because if you just get the same patch, you just keep waiting and waiting and waiting, you'll be forever waiting the same patch and getting no further forward. But if you plant something in its place, then it's the same principle, exact same principle when it comes to dealing with what worries and frets is and makes us fearful and anxious. If we just keep trying to deal with those, but if we put something in their place, and this is why Paul says in Philippians 4, 8, Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of a good report, if there is any virtue, if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. But worry is the opposite of that. Worry, we meditate on the problem, not on the answer, don't we? It says meditate, that means consider them, reckon them up, number them. Make them count. Meditate on them. So this is something that we can do. Something we must do. Because the alternative is worry, fretting, anxiety, fear. Those are the weeds that will continually spread up. In Isaiah 26 and 3, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. The word mind there is very important. It means two things when you look it up. It means imagination and it means framed. Imagination and framed. Whose imagination is framed. Now you see, if, if we don't frame our imagination, it'll run away with us, won't it? I gave an example a moment ago when the phone rings at three in the morning. Your imagination runs riot, doesn't it? The bank manager calls and says, I'd like to see you. Your imagination runs riot. I was standing in the Mount Lisburn one day. Uh, I, just, I just had arrived. I was just walking through on the tannoy with the owner of car such and such, such and such. Please go to security. And immediately, immediately I thought, for goodness sake, somebody's hit my car. And I could, I could see the... In my mind, immediately, I could see the front headlight hanging out by a thread. <laughs> so I'm walking down to the security. Met the wee man says, I'm the owner of car such. What's the problem? He looked at me and said, you left your window open, mate. <sighs> what a relief. You left your window open. I'm thinking, what an idiot I am. <laughs> car could have been stolen, actually. But I could immediately see that car light dangling out and somebody hit it and I probably think, you know what, they probably run off, probably even left a note. I was building all this up in my mind. That's the way your mind works, isn't it? It's your imagination. And if you don't frame it, if you don't hem it in and focus it on the good and focus it on God and focus it on the Word, if you don't do that, it's just going to run riot. His mind is stayed, upheld, sustained, borne up. 
leaned upon. All of these words are used when it says stayed on you because he trusts in you. I was looking at, I forget where I was driving the other day, but maybe it's because I used to work in that. I used to work in the electricity board. I used to climb up poles. You know, with the spurs and the belt and all that. Can you imagine me scumbering up a pool with spurs and belts? I used to do all that mad stuff. So every now and again, I'm driving along and I, and I see an electricity pole, especially one where the wires come this way and then they go that way. And all the strains on this one. And that's when you'll see the stay. You know, that, that part that, that's bolted into it and it's right down into the ground. There's a great big long metal cable right down it. And it's usually... T- it's the big railway sleeper. And I was looking at that pole, and there was such pressure on it that even with the stone, it was still bent. And I thought, well, that, that pole's taking some strain there. If it wasn't for that stay, it would, just, it would just collapse like that. And if we're not stayed upon the word, we're just going to collapse. The first pressure or strain comes on us, we're flat on our face. But if we're stayed on the word then we can take the strain Psalm 119 verse 165 great peace have those who love your law and nothing causes them to stumble so how do we resist the temptation to worry and fret. We focus on that which is good and pure and righteous and holy and positive. And we keep our minds stayed upon the Word of God and we frame our imagination and make sure it doesn't run riot. Psalm 37 is one of those psalms where The psalmist was going through a particularly difficult time. And he's kind of encouraging himself. We're not going to read all of the psalm, but just a couple of portions of it. Because he talks a bit about fretting. So he knew a little bit about fretting. In fact, he starts off, Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity. They shall soon be cut down like the grass and weather as a green herb. Look at verse 7. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for Him. Do not fret because of Him who prospers in His way. Because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Do you ever find yourself looking at somebody who's a real calm they're just a, what you say, a bad hide. And it seems to be they're prospering, they're getting away with everything, and they're, I mean, they're doing well, and everything just seems to be hunky during their lives, and your life's falling apart. See, this is, this, is one of the, this is one of the things that David's trying to deal with in this psalm. This dichotomy between sometimes how the wicked seem to prosper, and at the same time the righteous seem to suffer. And this has been an age-old problem, looking at this. And David's looking at it. And he's trying to get some, bring some bearing onto this. 
So he says, rest in the Lord, wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him, be prospered in his way because of the wicked man, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Who to? To you and to me. The wicked man goes on about his business, he could care less about you. But if we fret about those things, and here's the danger, the danger is, and this is where another psalmist, <laughs> this is where he had, had a trouble. He says, when I see how the wicked prosperous, he says, he says, my feet began to slide and slip until I went into the house of God and I saw the true end of what was going to happen to them. This is what David's saying here also. So we've got we to watch and be careful that we're going through a hard time and you see the, the ungodly seeming to be doing very, very well. Thank you very much. You've got to watch. Then you're going to be a bit angry with God and say, well, this is not fair. This is just not fair. How come? Then you start to fret. And David says it causes harm. It causes us harm. Because verse 18, the Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil time. And in the days of famine they shall be satisfied. And in verse 23, the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. He delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not utterly be cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. I have been young, and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his descendants begging bread. Then verse 39, But the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. He is their strength in time of trouble. And the Lord shall help them and deliver them. He shall deliver them from the wicked and save them because they trust in Him. Are you getting the message this morning? We're almost finished. Another way that helps us to be able to focus and stop worrying and fretting is to remember your past victories. To remember your past victories. In 1 Samuel chapter 17, Remember the story in David and Goliath? Verse 33, And Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are a youth, and he a man of war from his youth. But David said to Saul, Listen very carefully, Your servant used to keep his father's sheep. And when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and struck it and delivered the lamb from its mouth. And when it arose against me, I caught it by its beard and struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both lion and bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, seeing he's defied the armies of the living God. You see how when David was facing a big problem, Goliath, See, the first thing he did, he looked back at his past victories. He recounted his past victories. And in effect, he said to Saul, Look, I know I'm small. I know I'm only a youth. I know he's a giant. I know all of that. I can see all of that. But what you don't realize is I've already fought 
some big battles. I've already killed a lion. I've already killed a bear. And this Philistine will be like the lion and the bear. God delivered me then and God will deliver me now. God helped me then. God's going to help me now. I won those victories. I'll win this victory. He looked at these past victories and that encouraged him and gave him the strength and the faith and the courage to face his present Goliath. But you see, some of you have forgotten your past victories. You're so enveloped by the present problem that you forget to look back and say, well, God, you healed me then. Lord, you met my need that time. Lord, you restored me then. Lord, you did that then. And once you start to think that way and begin to count your blessings in the past, then suddenly you can say, well, God, if you did it then, you can do it now. Because you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. You never change. And that encourages us for the present, doesn't it? Martin Luther said he had a favorite preacher. <laughs> he said, I love this preacher. I love this preacher better than any other. It is my little tame Robin. He preaches to me daily. I put his crumbs on my windowsill, especially at night. He hops onto the sill when he wants his supply and takes as much as he desires to satisfy his need. And from thence he always hops onto a little tree close by, lifts up his voice to God and sings a carol of praise and gratitude, tucks his little head under his wings and goes fast asleep to leave tomorrow to look after itself. <laughs> I've got a whole tree full of little feller friends who wait me faithfully every morning. They're sitting cheaping and flapping their wee wings, and they're saying, hurry up, Gaudi, get the grub quick, I'm starving. <clears throat> and sometimes I've hardly put the seed out, I've hardly even come down to the door again till they're on it. They can hardly wait, and they just sit there. And that's how God feeds, feeds those little bunch that comes into my garden. He uses me to feed them every morning. And you know what? Those little birds trust me. They believe that every morning I'm going to be there for them. And so they have to be, haven't they? Till the better weather comes in. Because they're depending on me. If we had that attitude with God, if only we would wait patiently for Him and say, Lord, you fed me yesterday, you'll feed me today. Lord, you met that need yesterday, you'll meet it today. Lord, you healed me yesterday, you'll heal me today. If we had that same attitude, what a difference it would make, wouldn't it? Remember the wee story? Said the robin to the sparrow, friend, I should really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin, friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. Peter takes up that theme, 1 Peter 5 and 7, casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. All of your care, 
Not the ones you think, well, there's a wee piddly one, I can handle that. All of them. The biggest ones. All of them. He's interested in all of your life, every single detail. And he cares. John Rice said, worry is putting a question mark where God has put a full stop. That's good, isn't it? Because once we put a question mark, then we might as well put doubt, fear, worry, anxiety, fretting. God puts a full stop and says, that's it. No more worry, no more fretting, no more fear. On that particular subject, I put a full stop on that. That's as far as I want you to go. That's the end of the sentence. Amen? Well, we'll just read one more scripture. Lamentations chapter 3. You know it well, so let me just read it to you. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. See how he's remembering? This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Isn't that a wonderful verse? You see, Jeremiah is writing that again. He's not living in a vacuum. Every time this man prophesied, the people hated him. Wanted to stone him, wanted to throw him in prison, wanted to kill him. Every time he stood up for the truth and spoke, Thus and thus saith the Lord, they hated him. At one point he gets sick of it and he says, Lord, I can't take this anymore. I'm not going to do this anymore. And he gets so depressed and discouraged and despondent about the whole lot, he just wanted to walk away from the whole thing. You ever been there? Walk away from your job, from your marriage, from your children, from your career, from your business, from your church. You're just sick of it. I've had it. I can take no more. Listen to what he says. This I recall to my mind, and therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we're not consumed. He looks back in those times when he felt he was consumed and he couldn't take it anymore. By the way, that time he says, Lord, I, I'm not going to preach anymore. I'm not going to prophesy anymore. Then he said, but it was like a fire shut up in my bones and I could not forbear. I had to do it. I had to keep on going on. And so there's a message for us today, isn't there? Not minimizing your problem. Not trying to make it seem irrelevant. Not telling you to bury your head in the sand or just ignore it. Not telling you not to make plans for tomorrow or provision for tomorrow. Just saying what Jesus said. And I'm saying it to me. Because I don't like those phone calls or those letters that come through the post. I don't like those shock, surprise situations any more than you do. So it's a case of physician to heal thyself. I've got to read these scriptures. I've got to say this. I've got to do this too. 
to keep my heart right, to keep my mind calm, to keep myself framed and focused on God and his word. But when I do, then there is a peace. And there's just that feeling, well, God knows all about this and God can take care of this. And God met my need in the past. He'll meet my need in the future. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's never going to leave me. He's never going to forsake me. This didn't take him by surprise. He knew this was coming. So therefore, he can deal with it. And when you get to the end of your rope and you can't deal with it, and you say, well, God, I just turn this over to you. I'm just going to trust you for a great result. <laughs> I'm going to believe you for a full result for a miracle if that's what it takes i'm going to trust and believe in you i'm going to trust and believe lord you're going to meet this need however you're going to do it i have no idea but i believe you're going to do it in jesus name and you got to keep talking that way and believing that and look into those scriptures and if the witness if we receive the witness of men the witness of god is greater amen let's pray